Welcome, everyone, to uh, La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we dive into the world of Canadian rugby and the juicy gossip that surrounds it. Uh, my name is Dan Murphy, and with me today is Derek Brissett of Layman Sports. Derek, how are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode of, of the, of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast. We actually had um, a few people from Canada, someone from the United States, someone from South Africa, and someone from New Zealand. So we appreciate it. Uh, if you uh, like our podcast, make sure to share it on social media, on Reddit, wherever uh, you think that you could uh, gain more traction. We're kind of just starting this out, so we really do appreciate all the listeners. So uh, we're going to get started today kind of talking about uh, the Toronto Arrows. Uh, they've had a busy couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of took a couple of weeks off because we wanted to kind of build up some of the news that 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 was developing over those last couple of weeks. So the first game that they would have or were supposed to play was against the uh, Austin elite. Um, yes. However, that never happened. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, some like tornadoes and stuff down in Texas. So they uh, Austin couldn't take off safely. So, well, and, uh, and one of those, it's funny. One of those because, things, there's not a whole lot you can do about it really. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember seeing on social media and on Reddit, that everyone was getting all uh, upset about it because they thought that the, the it was postponed because of the Toronto weather. Because it wasn't great weather yeah. up here. It was raining and stuff like that. And then people were like, oh, well, rugby players are tough. Like, why are we canceling just because of a little bit of rain? And and then we, we yeah. soon later found out that it was uh, it was not because yes. of that. It was because of tornadoes. Yeah, torn- yeah exactly. Um, so, I mean, if that's... I like it's it's one of those things where it's like it's not like I mean it's this I'm sure it's disappointing for everybody involved uh, whether it be the you know the two organizations the fans that wanted to come out to the game or anything but it's like yeah like if I don't know if an airline's gonna say it's not safe to take off like you're not gonna take off yeah so, I mean there's nothing you can like there's nothing that they could do about it I know apparently uh, the Houston uh, or sorry not Houston the uh, Austin Elite did. Uh, did attempt to try to find an alternative flight to get here on time. They were looking at ways to like fly into Buffalo or something um, to try to do it. Um, it just did, didn't end up working out, but apparently, apparently they, they did try. So it's just, it's a, just a rough outcome for everybody. Yeah. Got to appreciate the, the, uh, the passion to try to get up here. And I know that Austin's got a little contingent of Canadian players, so they would have loved to play, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the game has been post uh, rescheduled to uh, next week. Is it uh, next, next Thursday, next Thursday, uh, next May Thursday. Night. So that game will be at uh, the York alumni stadium. Uh, yeah. However, let's get started with uh, the first, uh, the last two games that the arrows played. Um, the first game, the uh, arrows played, uh, was against the Houston Sabercats. Um, it was a rematch of a game earlier in the season. It was held at York Alumni Stadium. Um, the director of rugby, Chris Silverthorne, uh, made a lot of changes to the lineup. Um, so a lot of people were kind of inserted in the lineup to kind of give a different look. Um, maybe it was a chance of some people were injured, so he wanted to see what some guys would look like. Um but the game started off really well for the Arrows, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of uh, strong play in the, the Sabercats' end. Um, and a lot, of mm-hmm. a lot, if not all, their tries were all scored off of uh, set pieces. Um, you know, Colby Francis started the game off with a, with a score off of the lineout. Theo Sauter was off of a, of, off of a scrum. Um, 
and Quatran came off of a line out as well with his try. So, you know, a lot of really strong set pieces, forcing the turnovers, forcing um, Houston to kick that ball out of play. Uh, so it was really, really impressive. Um, I don't know if you felt the same way, Derek, but I thought that they played really well at the start of that game. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, their their start was, uh, like, essentially perfect. Like, even, uh, like, I mean, you mentioned the, the three tries that they did score. They had another one that got uh, – another – Francis could have had a second try. It got called back for a – as a forward pass. Um, uh, Lucas Rumble had a definite try that yep. the referees were just in poor position uh, to see, um, so they didn't award it. Um, but it was, like – um it's just yeah i i don't really know what to do about that um but yeah like the refs like it's clearly a try all the cameras showed it most of the people in the crowd could see it too um but yeah so it's like they could have they almost had five tries in the opening like 20 minutes of this game um and i know like you know solder scored soon after uh rumble's try but yeah like for the first uh the opening like 20 to 20 uh 20 to 30 minutes of that game was uh basically flawless from the arrows and then uh you know Houston uh Houston started to come back uh, late in the second half yeah and that, that's the thing or late is, in the first half sorry yeah Houston kind of woke up at the 30 uh 35th minute um uh mm-hmm. Pangelina uh, scored a try off of uh, a scrum very similar kind of play to uh what happened with uh Souders try and then um then yeah. it, it, from that point on after that try I found personally that the arrows kind of became really sloppy on the defensive side of the ball a lot of uh mm-hmm. not rucking a lot of penalties coming off of off of uh you know the breakdowns um and uh i don't know what happened on that uh <laughs> o'toole try my goodness uh, uh yeah, kind of was... just had his way with the team and and no one really seemed uh you know they all thought that he he, he was going to cut in and try to tackle uh go into contact so they all kind of just you know, kept kept on their feet and didn't really want to uh, commit to a tackle, and he just had his way and got it out wide. And yeah, he he ran basically the width of the field on that play, which is just crazy. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that was just uh, yeah, that, I I don't I don't even know if that was just like a brain like a team brain cramp, which is, it's it's frustrating. Like yeah, yeah, it's frustrating because we we saw them for again the majority of that half play strong mm-hmm. defense you know forcing Houston not to make those long passes because they they were they're moving on the, the defensive side quickly um mm-hmm. so to have that happen and uh yeah it was frustrating and then you know they kind of took that pressure into the, the start of the first half and you know uh Houston with constant pressure in Toronto's end and then it led to a uh, a penalty try and it was something that uh Toronto didn't think should have happened. And uh, you mentioned it in your uh, recap of the game. Uh, it was kind of picked up on the broadcast that Cole Keith, uh, the, the, the uh, tight end, yeah. was trying to argue with them. But it's no avail, unfortunately. Um, uh-huh. But the arrows. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I, yeah, I kind of just tended to somewhat agree with Keith on that one. It was just, I don't like, it was just, it was weird to see it like immediately awarded after like one scrum, whereas. You know, earlier in the game, the Arrows had some attacking scrums too, and they got like the constant resets on those. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I just thought it was a like. I mean, maybe if like the Arrows did it again, uh, you know, if the the uh, the ref thought there was like a, like the Arrows took a penalty to prevent the scrum from scoring a try for like a second time, maybe award it. But yeah, like I don't know. 
I, I was just I thought it was kind of like you know they they awarded it after one, but like the arrows weren't getting like the same uh, benefit of the doubt on the the other end of the field there. So right. I kind of tend to agree with him on that one. That was a little bit of a soft penalty try. I did too. I I wonder if it was just something that might have happened where the 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 refs thought that the try was going to be scored. They're pushing them back to a certain extent. Yeah. It's you know, if some butts yeah, think, candy and nuts. Think, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think that's one of those like things with like a penalty tries too, right? It's like it's supposed to be like there has to be a guaranteed try. That's but, a good like, point. Sure. Yeah, like I'm just not sure it's like like that. Oh, was a guaranteed try. Um, they, somebody, like, even if they picked the ball out of the back of the, like, I don't yeah. think they're going to drive the arrow scrum all the way through. And, you know, if somebody picks up the ball and runs, like, you can always get tackled in that situation. Just like yeah. a flanker, either like Rumble or uh, Malazzo could have popped off quickly and hit yeah. you. Like, it's, like, I just don't think it was a guaranteed try. Yeah. You know what? I mean, obviously, if, if anyone's out there different. and they want to pay for one of us to go do the, uh, first step of the Canada rugby refereeing course that way we have a better understanding of the rules feel free to uh you know e-transfer us some money to pay for it because we we would like to to get get into the mind of those refs but you know say la vie yeah yeah um, exactly you know after after that try though the arrows kind of uh you know kind of gave their heads a shake and then went back to work um off of us off mm-hmm. of a turnover in the Sabercats end the arrows uh, got the ball and capitalized and worked hard, and eventually Mike Shepard, who I like, I got to be honest, he is just been playing fantastic rugby these season. Yes, we we mentioned it; he's in, killing it. Yeah, we mentioned it in the last podcast. But uh, while I was working on the podcast last night, I was going through a season, the season's uh, scoring uh, um, plays, and he's just been involved in like he's, so he's many a, plays. He's a beast. Um, but again, another play. Shepard dots it down. Arrows take the lead, uh, and then and then Kanoa Lloyd, who I I've been really impressed with. Uh, I wish I wish we'd seen more playing time from him because I think he is a very dynamic player. You know, uh, finishes the game off with an interception, tried to widen the gap, and then that mm-hmm. was kind of the end of, end of the game. Uh, nothing really happened after that, to my to my knowledge, that was worth mentioning. Um, the arrows were named the team of the week for winning their very first game on home soil. Mm-hmm. So it was very exciting. I know everyone, especially the team was uh, heartbroken about what happened after the NOLA gold game. So for mm-hmm. them to get that win, it was pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, exactly. And it was a bizarre week for them too. Like, I mean, they probably, uh, you know, you know, prepare to play all week and then the other team is physically unable to get to the game. And then, you gotta, you know, you just kind of like take that day off then, and uh, yeah, have to come back and uh, you know get ready for another team. Um, so like that was always, uh, yeah. So it's like it was, it was a good win. I mean, it's it's not it w- was far from perfect. Obviously, there was the, uh, you know, like you said, there's like the, some of the that like you know ten or ten to fifteen minute stretch between the, you know, the thirty fifth minute and like. Or like the thirtieth minute and like the forty fifth minute were pretty uh, were pretty bad, um, but like they they managed to uh, you know they managed to uh, you know regather themselves and uh, regather themselves and come back with a really strong finish to the game. Uh, got a bonus point, uh, so it was like got a bonus point, which was a big help in the playoff race. Obviously, we are going to talk about the game against Seattle soon. Yeah, it helps. Uh, like it helps like build momentum and stuff too. 
um, the arrows players after the game, I was like talking to them after the game were very um, admitted that it's like, they can play way better um, despite winning um, that they, they could play better. Um, they felt like they kind of, they couldn't really get into like a rhythm all game. Um, they were like, you know, going like really like a lot of like stopping, a lot of starting, uh, you know, a lot of just like constantly doing that and they couldn't really get into their rhythm. And then, you know, so it was like, uh, I mean, like, like you said, though, it was like, there's a lot of, a lot of guys in the lineup that were maybe just, you know, given, given some looks for the first time, uh, Sam Malcolm, obviously going down with uh, an ankle injury, uh, late in the first half. Um, so Sean Windsor stepping in is a different dynamic for them. That, and I thought he um, played very, very well for, you know, the position that he's put into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Windsor was uh, like, that's the thing is like, there was a lot of like, uh, like you said, there some, seemed to be some experimentation with the lineup. And, you know, I thought, uh, I thought like Windsor, Windsor was good in having to uh, step up and come in for, uh, come in for Malcolm. Uh, I think he like held his ground like really well. And, uh, you know, it's like they, uh, yeah, like when when he did come in for them, like they were solid. Um, uh, so like you can't really complain. I thought uh, Dutois, although having um, some relatively easy conversions, especially the one on the uh, the Lloyd try. Yeah. Um, like yeah, but he, he made both of them. So uh, like you can't, you know, you can never complain about yeah. a guy going two two. Um, you can't argue with the numbers right. when they're right there in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And it's like. Uh, you know, and and uh, so I mean, like in that game, like the arrows, uh, arrows kickers between Malcolm and De, uh, Detroit um, were able to uh, basically come out. They went five for five combined. Every try went converted, mm-hmm. um, which is you can't really ask for much more out of that as far as you know your kicking game goes. Um, so, uh, but it's nice though because like Malcolm very rarely ever comes out of the lineup, and you know I think. Uh, it's nice to show that there's guys, especially on the bench, that are able to step up and, uh, you know, play fly half. Um, yeah. Also play fly half, do goal kicking. And I think with um, uh, the the uh, introduction of Pat Parfait Jr., I know yeah. I know some people out there in the Rugby Canada universe are, aren't a big fan of him because of his, you know, uh, his his family. But uh, he he will mm-hmm. be one of those guys that I think that can also pop in that fly half and also. Uh, yeah. make a difference i mean I think, he's played for the national team as as a fly half so i think that he can also offer that kind of safety net if something happens to malcolm yeah exactly um and i think like i mean i've said in many of the articles that i've written for layman sports that the uh the arrows are probably the one of if not the deepest team in major league rugby and like they got they got some depth at nearly every position if yeah. uh, guys do go down but the one position that they might be, if there is a position where they're lacking that, is definitely fly half. Is it, you know, it's Malcolm. And then, like, previously you had Malcolm and then you had Sean Windsor, mm-hmm. who really, realist, like, is the only other guy on the team that's played fly half. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, and, uh, Windsor is in, in the lineup every game. And Windsor, uh, when he is in the lineup, usually comes in and plays fullback. Right. Um, fullback or wing uh well i'm mostly actually mostly fullback for him um but that's where he comes into the lineup so he hasn't even played fly half this year up until malcolm's injury right and yeah and i mean uh like i don't i like i don't really 
I don't know like any of the details of Parfrey's uh, signing and debut last week, but like I don't I don't know if maybe that's like a thing that maybe you know maybe they uh you know saw Malcolm go down and maybe they were like ah we might need to add another guy just in case or something yeah right? like um just like if right right and let's make maybe that is a is a thought that occurred but um. But, but yeah, I mean, I think as long uh, obviously what it turned out to be was Malcolm just rolled his ankle. Um, so uh, he was able to play against Seattle last week. Again, didn't come out of the game at all against Seattle. Yeah, played well too. Like yeah, oh yeah, he plays he plays well every week. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I think like that's that's part of it. It's like they're uh, like you know I think they kind of saw that um, you know Sean Windsor is capable of stepping into that. Um, but maybe, but Windsor isn't in the lineup every week, and maybe they're looking to see if there's maybe maybe they're looking to see if there's a guy that can take over from Sam that they can put in that lineup. But they also clearly, you know, have no interest in taking Sam out of the lineup if he's healthy to go. Yeah, so, I'd be taking Sam out of the game if he's good to go. I would be interested to look at MLR as a whole and see what type of depth there is in terms of fly halves. At least, like even just like who is who is like uh, you know international. Uh, cap players that are coming in and playing those fly off positions because I mean you know just off the top of the head I can think of like Rugby United New York Toronto yeah uh, Houston and I and I believe also um, Austin are all playing players that are either American or Canadian at fly half but I think it's a position of depth that uh, the United States has gotten a little bit better but Canada's definitely struggled with I mean right now I mean mm-hmm. Gordon McRory uh, was the uh, the fly half of the repishosh and he was up until last year a scrum half I mean he played pretty well yeah. and kicked pretty well but you know I know that uh, Brian Ray's been kicking the drum for Shane O'Leary who plays in the um, plays in the second tier of the premiership over in uh, in the in uh, England for Nottingham so it's it is yeah. interesting that uh, that the arrows have been able to collect a little bit of depth in that position. Um, for me, yeah, exactly. We, a lot of teams do like it's sort of like what you touched on, even with with New York. Um, like uh, when Marsh was out, they brought uh, Matt and in from center. It's not like they had like it's not like they had like a guy like even like on the bench ready to go. It's like they shifted somebody else, yeah, from the position, right. I mean Houston too. Like I don't, I don't know what Houston's going to do if Sam Windsor gets hurt. Yeah. Oh, if they, if I, Sam I, Windsor I, gets hurt, then their their team's basically screwed. Yeah, he's I, such, like, such a good player, and he's there. I think watching the uh, the Saber Cats live against the Arrows uh, was like, um, like I think it, was, it became like kind of obvious, at least in that game, that uh, like beyond like. Like Sam Windsor is clearly the best player on that team, mm-hmm. um, and there's there's a big jump to like uh, like Pat O'Toole and uh, Zach Pendulinian, who were also really good against who I thought were also really good against the Arrows. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they each had a try, um, but um, like yeah, but it's like there was like after Windsor though, like there's a huge gap to like those guys. Yeah, they they're really missing the VC. Yeah, and then there's yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're missing they're missing them hard. But I mean, like you know, don't start fights with people. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, don't don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 punch guys in the face. It's uh, it's it's frowned upon in the rules. Um, but uh, but yeah, like they uh, yeah, it's like there's they're clearly um, it's like yeah, like they're they're missing something, and it's like I think 
you know, like every play that they had, I, um, like was just like the ball goes to Sam Windsor and then, you know, sometimes Sam Windsor will run and then there won't be a guy there to like offload for him or like, yeah. you know, he, he did like, he, I've noticed like he really likes that like little over the top chip kick. And um, like when, when he does that too, it's like he can go, but then he seems to always end up by himself when he does it um, with like, you know, a little bit of a lack of support there. But if he does it, he can, you know, he's generally pretty successful with it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know what they're like. I don't even know who their backup fly half option yeah. really is, to be honest with you. But yeah. um, my impression of the game uh, again, we kind of talked about their defensive woes at that, 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 you know, that it was mostly a yeah, 20 minute a... block, uh, but it's not the worst they've, they've played. I mean, we, we can go no, back def- and yeah, definitely not. we can look at that, you know, that first half of, the, of their very first game and kind of say, well, that was pretty sucky too. Um, uh, the one thing that I, I, I did want to kind of quickly touch on because he's someone that I've been watching and I haven't been fully impressed with is uh, Cole Keith. Now mm-hmm. I've seen Cole Keith play for the national team. Uh, and I, th- I think this calendar year has been – he hasn't really impressed me a lot either with Canada or with the Arrows, especially in this game against Houston. I know Houston does have a, a pretty strong um, uh, forward pack when it comes to the scrum, but a lot of the penalties were coming off of, off, off of his side and, you know, bringing the, the scrum down or, you know, uh, uh, boring in or, you know, it, it, he, he seems to be just one of those players where I look at – some of the other props that have played a uh, uh, tight head for the team. And I say, well, you know, what, what can they offer? What, what does he offer that they can't? I mean, obviously we know Morgan Mitchell is going to be starting, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's whether injury or not that Tom Dizelle hasn't been in the lineup or not, but, but I was watching mm-hmm. some of the older highlights and he really played pretty well for the arrows. And, you know, I, I just wonder yeah. maybe if, if is it because Cole Keith is part of the national program that maybe he's just getting more looks or I'm, I, I'm just curious to see why the arrows are so up on him where I just don't I haven't been impressed by his play. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Well, yeah, I think they yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think I think Keith's been he's been solid. Like, I don't think. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, there's uh, especially yeah, against Houston. He definitely, there were some penalties that he gave up for sure. Um, I think part of the issue, uh, like, and I, I don't know, like, I still think Keith has a decent shot of uh, making the World Cup team. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he, he's definitely going to be in the mix for that. He might not start, but he will probably be in the mix with that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think like one of the things I think I've kind of like seen glaring is just, I think it's, part of it is just how much better Morgan Mitchell is. And I think, I think it's and, the mobility of, of Mitchell. Yeah. I think it's the yeah. mobility of Mitchell and, that just, he's always, uh, you know, when it comes, especially on the de- defensive side, everyone kind of wants to talk about how good um, Morgan Mitchell is, is you now he's a bowling ball, how he's so strong, you know, yeah. as, as a runner. But I, I think what I'm most impressed about what Morgan Mitchell has done this year is Whenever that ball, as soon as that ball is out of the rock, Mitchell's one of the first guys off of the line. You know, he's so yeah. strong in the defensive side of the ball. Maybe that was his, mm-hmm. you know, flanker background. Um, but I just don't see that with Keith. I don't yeah. see as many of the dynamic tackles where where the players are losing ground um, that you know some of the other you know props like Rob Browner and Browner and and Mitchell are mm-hmm. doing that. Then I see with uh, yeah. Keith. So, you know, yeah. I, I, like- 
so yeah, like I like Keith or uh, sorry, Mitchell is like is is unreal. Um, like every time, like and you, you talked about his defense because uh, like it would like, which is great. I completely agree with you. Uh, but I think like you know some of like what he does with the ball in hand is like really impressive for a prop sometimes. Yeah. So, uh, like I mean he's he's that type of dude that uh you know always needs you know three defenders to bring him through or to bring him down. Um, so he like sucks in defenders all the time. Um, I know in the game against Houston he had like a crate he dragged in like three guys and then did like this. Like and then having like this crazy offload to the next guy that had like a hole, and it's like you know you don't usually see props like throwing up um, you know some like Fijian style offloads, but like yeah, uh, yeah. but like yeah, like, but like Mitchell can do it, yeah. and uh, he does like you know there's always something that uh, I just find like there's always something like in wa- me watching the game whether it's live or you know watching on TV or whatever it's like there's always something that Mitchell does in the game that kind of like blows my mind i'm like yeah. oh like i can't believe that that dude actually did that and the, the i think that's i think that's the thing that's kind of like almost the thing that's playing against keith right now or like the perception of keith is because it's like i think when like with uh like when mitchell's off the field um regardless of whether it's keith or uh Lynott, dolezal whoever comes in for him um like you miss the uh, presence yeah, exactly. It's like I think you notice that Mitchell's off the field. Yeah, it's not that it's not that the other three guys in or it's not that the other prop, including Keith, is playing badly or anything. It's just it's like you know there's there's an element of what makes the arrows off and the arrows from an offensive point of view. It's there's an element of what makes them somewhat dangerous that's kind of gone now because yeah. I don't think any of the other props can do what, what Mitchell he does. can do. And I think part of it too um, is is uh, I you know the reason why we're so uh, excited about Major League Rugby is it gives p- young players like Cole Keith a chance yeah. to grow. So exactly. Yeah, maybe I'm exactly. just a little maybe I'm just a little impatient. Uh, I just I'd like I would yeah. like to see more, and, and I think I think he has the potential to do yeah. that, and that's why. Like, well, I mean, uh, Keith Keith is 21 right now. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like you know, and I think. Yo, like I think you're kind of looking at a guy that will like probably be a mainstay on the national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is obviously like you know at the ARC he was starting games. He played full eighty, a full eighty in a couple of them too. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I think that that's kind of what they're looking for. But I think like th- this is where I think Major League Rugby can benefit, like really benefit. Um, you know, Team Canada and the USA Eagles with stuff is like having players like Mitchell who can come in and like mentor and teach Keith. Well, and even just give uh, Keith something to work towards. He's like, I'm not going to get, yeah, I'm exactly, not going to get that exactly. starting spot like, you're, until you're I not, can be as yeah, fast you're as You're not him starting. Or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're not starting until like you can kind of, you can like do this or be the, and I mean, honestly, like if Cole Keith, like this goes back to your depth. If Cole Keith is your backup tight head prop, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah that's true. So, uh, like your, your team is in pretty good shape, yeah. um, so especially at that specific position. Um, but like, yeah, like I mean, you kind of you kind of gotta like go with that, and it's like you really you really do like hope and it, like and I hope like you know even that I hope like Brower is learning things from Keith as he. 
as he, you know, makes his push to try to, you know, get in the mix for national team selection as well. Yeah, which um, I, I hope he does. I, I really think that he has also played extremely well. Oh man, yeah, you know he's 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 been a beast oh, against Seattle. We gotta talk about the Seattle. Game. Well, here let's let's move on to the Seattle game because I think we we've kind of talked about that game to death. Um, yeah, this this was probably one of Toronto's best games, if not the best game of the season. Um, it started off very well. Um, they weren't really rewarded for for their possession, but mm-hmm. they were playing most of the game in the other team's half. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't until, I believe, closer to the 25th minute when uh, Mike Shepard was kind of tackled a little bit, uh, we'll say a little bit roughly, um, <laughs> kind of a dangerous dump tackle. Um, so <laughs> the Arrows took advantage and, and scored uh, a penalty kick. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Which then, is, uh... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, which was uh, big. Uh, the arrows, the one thing, like even through the the last handful of games here, um, the one thing that they they've never uh, they've never shown is uh, like a lack of confidence in their ability to score tries. Um, that was Sam Malcolm when Sam Malcolm stepped up to kick that penalty. That was the first penalty they've attempted in over three games, which is crazy. And I, I think yeah, it was interesting it like... because I, I think they kind of took the wind into consideration, thinking, yeah. okay, well we're not going to had... get. As soon as it comes the second half, and mm-hmm. we're kicking the other way, I, I don't know if they wanted it to kick as mm-hmm. many, you know, penalties. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but but like yeah, like they just they don't kick penalties very often. Um. So uh. They, yeah. So it was like it was like it it was something. Uh, like I don't know. It was a bit of a. I thought at that point in the game because the arrows the arrows were controlling the game up until that point. Um. For mm-hmm. sure, especially with territory and possession. That is like I don't know, like the, the Seattle's defense is like really good. Yeah, and um, I mean, and I think it, I think it kind of showed. And I think when Mal, when they got that penalty, I think it was finally just oh, we got to get something on the board for this twenty-five minutes of effort here. And, and they, they kind of brought it back to the other other end of the it, field it, after that, and uh, <laughs> you know uh, they were in the Toronto Toronto's end of the field for for a good amount of time. Um, they actually ended up mm-hmm. uh, forcing Alejandro uh, Levas uh, of Uruguay. To uh, do an in, it was his in, in second intentional knock on, which uh, I don't know mm-hmm. really what he was trying to do there, but anyway, so he was sent to the sin bin, uh, and this is where Toronto really dug in and, and really kind of pulled up their you know bootstraps yeah. and really went to work, and they 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 brought that you know they forced penalties, you know they they forced knock ons, and and they brought the ball down to the other end, and you know mm-hmm. that guy that we mentioned. Already today, Mike Shepard, you know, would score a try in the corner, and you know, it was just all a a good set of uh, of work that the arrows did to uh, kind of go into the half up eight nothing. And you know, the arrows really, uh, really impressed me. Again, the Seattle are the reigning champions for a reason. They they play such a hard game, and I think part of what makes the you know the the quote unquote seawall defense so formative is. They hit you hard. You know, they, they've got yeah. some hard hitters. You know, you look at, like, all of their guys, they're all thick. They're strong. I mean, even, like, their wingers, like, Sean Burke Holmes is a big guy. Rockstaller is mm-hmm. big. You know, those guys yeah. are typically your, own, your your smallest of the players, and they all hit hard. You know, so it kind of takes um, – Riker takes Hatting up. is huge. Oh, he's such like, – In person. Yeah, like, that dude is huge. And it sucks because in a couple of years, yeah. I think 2020 or 2021, I saw he's eligible to play for the U.S., for the Eagles, which is a horrifying yeah. thought. 
So <laughs> yeah, that's that's why the uh, yeah that's why they got to get a second major league rugby team so the Canadian other Canadian team can sign him and he loses residency. That perfect. There you go. So the Victoria or Vancouver guys figure it out. We don't want him playing for the U.S. anymore. Exactly. Let's go Vancouver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then and then going off of going back into the you know start of the second half, uh, they they played well again. Um, one thing I did want to mention, and it was interesting, is uh, uh, Mackenzie came on early in the second half. I think it was only like the forty mm-hmm. third minute that he he, he, he got faced right at half. So you know, even even closer. And I'm starting to wonder if uh, if is he gained favor of the coaching staff. I mean, I wasn't very impressed by Andrew Ferguson in the first half of uh, the Seattle game. Maybe Seattle was forcing him to make you know, more mistakes. But I think as soon as McKenzie came on, I think the offense started having a different look. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, maybe yeah. it's just preference of the team that they're playing. You know, McKenzie is a little bit bigger. He, he, he tends to want to run the ball a little bit better. He, he might be a little bit tougher to tackle where Ferguson's quicker, you know, gets the ball a little faster, a little bit more of a, you know, juke in his step. So maybe it was preference against the, the opponents they were playing or, Maybe the coaches just saw what I saw and weren't happy with Ferguson's play, and they they wanted a different look. Uh, but I thought that was just interesting to kind of see at the beginning of the half. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think like that might be part of it. Like, like we t- like other than uh, like I think that be part of it is like the like the arrows had that ball the entire the almost the entire half. Um, uh, they came away with eight points, but yeah, maybe maybe they were just looking like. You know, maybe we need we need a different look to uh, break through the, this defense here, and you know, with uh, you know, they they ended up with uh, three tries with McKenzie on the field there too, um, and a lot of those tries and a couple of those tries, especially uh, you know, uh, Livas's try was basically you know out of the ruck. McKenzie picked out Dutwat, who had a great line to get through, and then uh, you know, Livas uh, or Livas followed it up. Um, that was like your try with it was. Uh, you know, they were able to break through, like, out of a set piece, they were able to break through uh, that seawall with one pass. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, there was certainly um, – I mean, I think uh, I think if you want to, like, see, like, who's maybe in favor, it would be interesting to see who's uh, wearing a nine jersey uh, come Sunday in San Diego. Yes, yeah, exactly, because that's going to be a big game. And I've been really mm-hmm. impressed by Tutot. Uh, he has been, uh, you know, one yeah. of the arrow's best uh, – route runners mm-hmm. uh and he's really a thought brought a different piece and i'll be interested to see if he uh is considered for um international duty for the world cup because i think he's played very well for the arrows and he was someone that i remember you know a young prospect for the national team and wasn't really getting considered for a whole lot for uh, especially with the repishage mm-hmm. um so i'd be interested mm-hmm. to see where he kind of fits into the to the program um but after that try mm-hmm. you know Seattle did bring a little bit of life and a little bit of worry. Um, Shalom Sonyula tightened the score with, again, much like what happened with Detroit, just kind of found a, found a hole and, and was able to finish it off himself. Um, mm-hmm. But with Seattle threatening, the arrow was forced yeah. to t- turn over. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite players, Dan Moore, finished it off with an incredible try, just putting on the afterburners and running around Matt Turner, which is a hard thing to do. A guy, The guy is a former, you know, sevens player for England I mean he yeah. uh he really impressed me with that try and the, the celebration was fun I wish I saw more of that from the arrows <laughs> that should just become like trademark yeah, celebration be like a, like a mandated thing it's like boys score a try you're doing this yeah. 
if you get it, that should be uh, I was saying it's like penalty tries, it's like get the ref to do it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, slip, but, slip, uh, slip a Maloney or Tooney and, and be like, okay, do it. Yeah, yeah, dude, just do it. Just do it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. The yeah. other team won't be mad. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about um, them. Yeah, yeah, the other team will. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's the like, yeah, that tr- uh, that celebration was awesome. Um, I uh, yeah, like I really uh, it, it is. It's like that's not the first time Moore's done that. No, in the first um, game he did it as well. First try that I was like two minutes in against Nola. Um, he did that. I don't know if it's just you know his other tries he hasn't been doing it. I don't know if it's just like you know he gets the uh, like the passion like riled up and like yeah. Let's loose on some of them. Um, yeah, that was a that was a massive try. Um, that was a massive try for the arrows. All uh, created off the uh, the steal from uh, Rob Brower, um, who, like you, we were talking about earlier, you know, jumped off the line really quick, forced Youngman to uh, make a mistake there, uh, got the ball back, and then you know, more ran it the rest of the way for him. But yeah, um, uh, so yeah, like that was. Uh, that was a huge turning point. Uh, well, maybe not really a turning point in the game uh, since the arrows were in control of the game already. But, but I, like that, kind of put the wheels in motion to like put Seattle the, you know, put the final couple nails in their coffin. I guess. I, I think so it really deflated that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really deflated Seattle because that that Paul Cellini try it was. I don't, I'm not going to say it was easy, but it definitely looked like it wasn't the hardest try that they've ever scored. I think after that, Seattle was kind of just, okay, well. Yeah, well, like, the crazy thing with, like, that that more try, and, like, uh, you know, I mentioned in my recap or whatever, the, uh, like, the the Arrows defense, um, which maybe have to talk about a little bit more because of how good they were in this game, too. Um, but, like, when Brower makes that steal and then more runs it all the way back, um, the ensuing kickoff from Seattle to restart play goes to the end goal area. Um, That's right. So yeah, it goes it goes through the end goal area. So the arrows get a like right after scoring, the arrows get a scrum on the uh, uh, fifty on half, and um, uh, you know they dominate that scrum like they did for most of that game too against one of the better scrums in the league, which was really impressive to see. And then uh, they just kind of march the ball up the field. And eventually, uh, Chiolini found his way underneath the post again. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, like it's like literally like that entire ten minutes. Um, I mean, obviously, kicking the ball through the end goal area is a bit of an unforced error, but it's like it all literally all started with like Rob Brower stealing a ball. Um, yeah. Just like his, like the, you know, it was like the the defense. It's like those two tries were almost entirely created by defense. Um, just because like the arrows were able to hold hold Seattle for a bit, and eventually Brower was able to come away with a steal and yeah, um, pounced on a or force force an error from Youngman, pounced on the uh, Youngman's knock on, and then but like yeah, all that, and then I mean yeah, but it was weird though too because that was like the second like completely botched kick that Seattle had in that game. So they had that one. Apparently, it wasn't seen on TV. Very well. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like, remember. I remember seeing that five meter line out, and dude, I, like honestly, myself, I kind of looked down too, so I can't even really remember who kicked it, and it wasn't on TV. Yeah, so I, couldn't, I think. Like, uh, I think JP Smith. Too. Yeah, it was I probably JP. I think JP um, Smith was is telling his coaches, "Please don't ever put me at fly half again. Yeah. Keep me at scrum." Yeah, but it was like he like yeah, and he kicked it, and he just. 
like with how close they were to the side, like he just completely shanked it. Like even like the arrows were kind of like, is that ball going over our head? Yeah. Um, you know, and more touched like uh, touched it down in their zone or in the end goal, and they ended up with yeah. And it was like, man, like that was it was weird. And then yeah, like you said, like the kick, crucial kickoff, and which is it was like honestly, it was just weird to like I glanced down at my my you know in the press box myself, I I glanced down to you know write whatever I was writing, and then looked up and the ball's like sailing into the uh you know the in goal area, but like deep in the in goal area yeah. because we have Steve Bell end zones for the Toronto Arrows. Yeah. Um, but uh like it was just like a very bizarre play. And then yeah, and then after Morse try, it was another bizarre one where like like you know you think like a team you know that's down a couple tries the final ten minutes they put up a short kick or whatever to try to go get it so that they can you know score or whatever, but instead, like, this ball just gets launched all the way through the end goal area, and it was, you know, it was a kind of bizarre couple of plays there, but, but, uh, yeah, again, all started with some defense, though. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I think this was probably one of the Arrows' most complete games on both sides of the ball. Um, The offensive uh, side of of the game was really impressive. They moved the ball out wide. They, They really were able to pick their their spots where they ran the ball well at uh, the beginning of the game there were though a couple of handling issues and there were a couple of uh, of penalties given either for for you know uh for holding on to the ball or i remember uh wainwright got a penalty for uh for uh running after after being tackled so you know there were a couple of miscues at the start of the game but they were able to kind of reel those in especially after they got that uh, that yellow card um the scrum was strong yeah, yeah, the the strong the scrum was strong was strong and against one of the best in the league. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Seattle takes a lot of pride in their in their scrum, and Toronto held their own, which is really good, and that, that's going to mean a lot going into the next couple of games that they're going to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I did want to talk about though is their lineouts, which continue to be a, uh, an issue. And I know it was something after, especially after that uh, rugby United New York game that Chris Silverthorne wanted to focus on and. And uh, we, we kind of pointed out uh, a couple of consecutive lineouts that the Arrows lost. And I think one of the issues that I've been having with their lineouts is it just looks so discombobulated. You know, they, they kind of they go in slow into the scrum and then they start moving around a lot. And then once they're finally up, it's almost like the uh, defensive side of the ball, the defensive team already just kind of has telescoped what they're doing and then they, they steal the ball or the, the lineout's not very straight. You know, they're... There are a bunch of different things that I think that are happening with with their lineout set continue to be an issue. So I personally think that they each need to keep it a little bit more simple. I mean, that's easy to say for me. You know, I'm, you know, a, a thirds team player on on a you know Ontario club team, but you know, as a fan, I, I just see that it just doesn't look like it's working, and it's been something that they've had issues with all year. I mean, Cam Dolan ate, ate, ate them alive in both the games that they played against Nola and. You know, they're only going to be playing against teams with, you know, strong jumpers. And I think maybe that's something that if they can next year is that they, they look at, you know, what can we change? You know, are there are there ways that we make the players that we have now? So I think that either between the locks or the flanks, Toronto has some fantastic players, but it just seems in the lineup that this, that's their biggest struggle. So I'm looking for answers for what maybe they can do to kind of see if they can shore that up because if they if they're continually continuously losing lineups that they have a chance to score on it's going to be hard for them to win more games 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I I personally, like, I know I harped on their lineups a lot at the start of the year, too. I think they've gotten, I do think they've gotten a lot better. Um, the one thing that I did want to talk about with that, when you showed me the clip that you were referencing, um, for anybody listening that wants to follow along, Dan uh, told me, well, Dan wanted to highlight the, uh, you know, there's, in the 50th minute of the game, there's two lineouts um, that happen in pretty quick succession there in the 50th minute. Um, that the arrows arrows both have their throw in, um, and they end up losing both of them. Um, so, like uh, I think, like I I used to like really not like the arrows lineups. Then I had some conversations with some people that know way more about rugby than I do um, to really kind of talk about. So statistically, the arrows actually have like a real like a you know one of the you know their lineups in like the top half of the league from a statistical standpoint. Um, so uh, it is better than I think it is better than uh, what it looks like um, sometimes. But um, one of the the, the issues, um, well, maybe not really an issue. So uh, Peter Malazzo um, is the guy that they typically go to um, in a lineout um, as as their jumper, and Malazzo is um, like he's a lot shorter than a lot of the guys that he goes up against on other teams. And the fact that he actually like that, the fact that he can actually has managed to lead the league in lineout steals at various points throughout the year. I'm not sure if he's still currently leading the league in lineout steals, to be honest with you, um, is like in, is super impressive that he's been able to do this. And um, but he is still significantly shorter than um some of the other guys that he does go up against. And I think these two, the two lineups that you have in question are, I think maybe somewhat, somewhat of examples of that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, um, So uh, in the two lineups that you brought up, in both cases, it's Malazzo, um, Malazzo jumps for Toronto and then Tucker's the guy that goes up. Um, Brad Tucker, um, their number six is the guy that goes up for, um, or at least their number six in this game. But uh, he's the guy that goes up um, for uh, Seattle. And Tucker is about five inches taller than Malazzo. Yeah. You can kind of – and I think you can kind of see it in the play. So in both of them, uh, Malazzo obviously goes up first because the arrows are – know what's happening in the lineup. Um, So Malazzo goes up first. And as Seattle kind of reacts to it, it's like in the first and second lineup, and neither one of them, um, actually read like they don't really react that great and like the lift on Tucker isn't the best and if you kind of look at where Tucker's head is in relation to Malazzo um, when Tucker actually makes contact with the ball is Tucker's head is about like just below like the seven on Malazzo's jersey and he literally all he does all like what Tucker does is just reach up and because he's that much bigger or that much taller because he's about six five six six or something like that um and he he like reaches all the way up and like swats it back yeah and like i think yeah and you know and i think like he's able to get up there because he's that much taller and um so so I, like i'm not really like i'm like obviously malazzo's been like he's been great all year um, and you know, I don't like, he's been great all year and like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure like how you can really like, yeah, it's just like, just the lift on Tucker on both of the, 
on both of those lineouts isn't the best. Yeah. And he's, but he's still able to get a hand on the ball partially because of Yeah, just because of his size. And I think, uh, and, you yeah, know, and like, so, um, but like this part of the thing with the arrows is it's like, you know, like, even, uh, you know, guys, uh, like the, the guys that they use to, uh, you know, jump like dudes like uh, Cialini and Shepard aren't like, you know, the prototypical like jumping locks. No. Um, as they are as great as they are every other aspect of rugby on the field yeah um, they're not the prototypical guys that you want jumping in a lineout so the arrows do go with their flankers so the arrows, for the most part normally it's rumball and malazzo that are the ones jumping yeah exactly and um you know and, and malazzo is i think he's about six one maybe six two yeah um so he's he's a little bit uh, you know, at least compared to some of the losses, but you mentioned Cam Dolan earlier. Cam Dolan's huge. Um, and, uh, like, I think, like, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I think Malazzo's skill um, in able to go up and get balls, because it's like some, like, the fact that he leads the line out, the league in lineout steals um, is incredibly impressive given what he has to jump up against sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I think, like, if you have that, um, that aspect in your in your game, whatever. Um, like, so yeah. But sometimes I think you know if you have that, you're gonna you might get beat sometimes. Yeah, and, and I, I and maybe maybe that's you know, and yeah, it's, like, it's easy to say, well, maybe a personnel change in the, you know in in the, in the off season, but you know you, you play with what, what's available to you. So yeah, um, exactly. And I think that's I think that's what they're doing. Um, you know, and I think I think that's what they're doing. I think they're like doing a pretty solid job with yeah. what they have as well, like with that personnel that is available to them. Yeah. Um, I, I so will say, I will say the the well, difference. Of, you still have so. Yeah, I, I was. I will say that the difference between their first Nola game and their lineouts compared to their second yeah. one was a lot different. Yeah. Like, it was a lot better in that game yeah. in Toronto with the lineouts. So. You know, they, they are making changes, and I guess maybe I'm just harping on certain games where they were kind of eaten alive. I know, you know, Cam Dolan, John Quill, you know, Brad Tucker, these are all guys that, you know, are kind of elite at their jobs. You know, Brad Tucker has played, has had a phenomenal season. You know, I know he's played very well for the Seawolves, and he's he's garnered a lot of attention, so. Um, yeah, okay. exactly. And he's about, you know, and sometimes he's five inches taller than the guy he has to jump. <laughs> you can't can't do anything about that unless you want to bring back those like stretch tables from like medieval yeah. times. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, like you know, sometimes that that is that is part of it too. Uh, like what you're saying, it's like Nola. Nola has uh, with Dolan probably has the best line out in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle with Tucker is up there, and it's like, you know, it's like you're gonna get into these games where. Um, you know, you got to go up against some of these elite teams in the league um, yeah. as far as that element of the game is concerned. And, um, yeah, like you said, it's like Tuck, Tucker will beat you sometimes. Um, like, it, it, you know, he's going to get steals. Kim Dolan's going to get some steals. Yeah. Uh, these lanky, you know, lanky guys playing yeah. against us. We They're just need a lanky guy. That's all we need. Yeah, but then, you you know, like, that's the thing, though, too, right? Is like if you go and, you know, try to acquire that, that lanky guy or whatever it means, you know, there's somebody else on the roster that yeah. maybe. You know, it's like, I, know, I don't want to lose either Cellini or, or I don't, uh, I don't Shepard. know. I'm losing like, any of the flankers right now and taking yeah. them out of the lineup for, you know, anybody. Cause they've all been, uh, the other thing, like Peter Malazzo too, still hasn't come off the pitch ever at all. The dude is a tank. Um, 
Yeah, so like he he's played every minute or every minute, every second of every single Arrows game so far. Yeah. Um, and he's the only one that has done that. So, um, yeah, like that dude's a tank. So um, yeah. I'm not sure you want to lose. Yeah, and he's like, you know, he's in lineouts. Um, he's, you know, had a lot of rucks and breakdowns and stuff. Like he has a pretty high work rate and he still seems to be indestructible at this point. In right. Time, so. Okay. Um. Thanks, Derek. And again, this is one of the reasons why we have Derek on the show is because he is a lot smarter and knows a lot more smarter people than I do. Um, so now we're going to quickly, quickly. I'm not much smarter than you, man. Just trust me. <laughs> quickly, we're going to go over kind of the the, wolf, the Toronto Wolfpack. Uh, they are the, the professional rugby league team here in, uh, in Canada. Uh, they had their first home game at Lamport Stadium where they uh, crushed the Swinton Lions. 52 to 10 and they also crushed attendance records um mm-hmm. they kind of they broke a record for their league with uh 9,562 fans at one game um i know a lot of uh naysayers over in the uk want to say that it, it wasn't true but you know what it it was such an impressive uh game to watch on uh, i was i was watching it on tv and it, it looked like lamport was really packed and one of the things that I, I've been to a, a bunch of their games and they, they do a really, really good job of, of making it a welcoming environment for not only just, you know, fans, but family. And, you know, they make it something that I, I, I always re- remember people walking by and going, well, what's going on over there? It looks like it's fun. You know, it's, it's such a, a it's, it's almost like a party with a rugby game taking place in the middle of it. Yeah. Now, my question for you is Toronto's next game is at Lamport. Um, what does the Wolfpack do so well uh, f- with their game day experience? And, and part of it, I think, is also their online persona with their social media. And what can the Arrows do in a certain extent? Because I know everyone knows that, you know, the Wolfpack has a huge budget. You know, they've got a billionaire owner who, you know, is able to kind of throw money around certain ways. But I think the Arrows can learn certain things so what what can they take away from the from the wolf pack success at lamport to kind of mo- move the, the needle a little bit yeah i think i think you kind of somewhat hit the nail on the head, uh, head there um i think a lot of people are going to be comparing the wolf pack to the arrows naturally because it's two rugby teams um even if you know uh, those people don't, even if people don't recognize the difference between codes or, you know, even the people that do recognize that difference, it's like, yeah, the two rugby teams in the same city uh, playing at the same stadium. It's like, there's going to be comparisons. Um, but yeah, but at the, uh, but Ricky Luttle and Darcy Lussick make more money than the MLR salary gap. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, so yeah, so like it's, it is, it, it is one of those things where it's, um, you know, the Wolfpack do have a ton of money. Um, so that obviously that helps they can put more money into, you know, uh, signing marquee players. They can put more money into, uh, you know, the advertising and things like that. Um, but as far as the game day experience, I mean, like you said, there is some things that I think like the arrows can definitely do and look at. Uh, I think one of the things that I think you also touched on there, um, the Wolfpack, um, for anybody, everybody that has gone to Wolfpack game, I think the Wolfpack, especially in their first year, um, did a great job of creating an experience like a game day experience that required you to have absolutely no idea what's going on on the field and still being able to have fun. Um, uh, I think the, the beer garden uh, was an awesome idea. Cause I think like 
um, you know, there's a lot more uh, beer fans in Southern Ontario than there is rugby fans. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is obviously um, a crossover between those two demographics. Um, so there's, you know, um, but, you know, I think to say like, you know, if some people just want to like, you know, hang out and, you know, go to the beer garden and sample all those like craft beers and stuff, that is an option for you. Um, and then hopefully, you know, you turn around and take a look at the game and you enjoy yourself um, as well. Uh, you know, the Wolfpack uh, kept, the, you know, the beer garden and stuff open for a while, um, you know, after the game as well, which I think was a big thing, um, which I think was a, also a great idea. So it kind of allows, you know, people to stick around and socialize to give an opportunity in like their first year and stuff. I know they've kind of tailed off on the, you know, player post-game interactions at the beer garden. Yeah. In the last yeah. Those have kind of tailed off since then. But in the first year, but I thought, like, it was a really good thing to do um, to gain fans. And I mean, that, that is something that the Arrows are doing. The players have been, you know, sticking around. And the players even and the opposing team have been sticking around um, for, uh, you know, post, uh, you know, signing autographs, uh, taking pictures and stuff like that uh, with, like, you know, uh, fans as well as, like, their own, like, family and friends that have come up to see the game. Um, so it's like the, the arrows are sticking around and making themselves available, um, you know, and um, like, and like, honestly, I, I haven't had a, like a, I haven't had like a negative dealing with anybody in the arrows organization. So, I mean, if you are, you know, if you are a fan, like a fan and stuff, and it's like, you, you can, like, there's opportunities to like go and like meet and talk to these guys. Oh yeah. And they're all, they're all super friendly. They're all uh, really cool. And they're all more than happy to stick around and talk to you for a bit. Oh yeah. It, it, even like the Seattle Seawolves went up to the, you know, the, the, the fan after party, you know, you know, it, it is definitely. Every, every team has done that yeah, so far. It's been, it's been a great experience. Have some more Canadian dudes than other teams. So um, they looked like they were they were kind of interacting with people a little mm-hmm. bit more, um, which I mean is great. But like you know, like they got you know they even have guys like uh, from here and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, no, kind of the same thing. Kyle Billy and Eric Howard were, um, you know, were uh, you know interacting a lot more probably because they knew more people. Yeah. Um, were just at that party, knowing like the Southern Ontario, knowing like the you know the Ontario rugby fans and everything. Yeah. Um, but like every team has been, you know, coming out and stuff. Um, so like that, that is good. So it's like, there is chances if you wanted, if you had, you know, if you wanted to go meet and talk to these guys, you can do it. You can talk to the coaches and stuff like that. Um, and it's so like that, that is a good thing. And I hope the arrows continue to keep doing that. Yeah. And I know like the wolf pack, we said the wolf pack have kind of tailed off on that a little bit, but um, it'd be a good thing for the arrows too. Yeah. Um, they don't need to crush but- pints with us, but even just to sit and take pictures and talk, that they've yeah. done a really good job with that. I think one of the things with uh, what I think kind of people are setting up this this expectation for the arrows um, is that you know they, they that they'll have you know they'll break records with with Lamport or you know they'll have that big beer garden because again like running that beer garden costs money. So you know if you're going yeah, to the games, don't be surprised. Maybe they don't have as many you know, options or as many tents and stuff like that. But I, I think that the, the arrows will do a good job. You know, they've already announced that they're where they're after game beer up will be. So it'll be, it'll be a good experience for everyone. Yeah. And I think like part of what I think um, some people got to remember too, is it took like, it took the Wolfpack the three years to build up to having a nine, like a 9,000 plus person. Yeah. Like this is this is year three for them, where the barrels are still in year one. Exactly. Uh, the Wolfpack, that's over a hundred years old. Um, 
I know, and there, you know, there's, with... there's people on Reddit and there's people on Twitter who are constantly saying that the, the Wolfpack are going to be the doom of the Arrows and vice versa, and, and it's not the case. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we had... No, it coincide. Yeah, you... I hope they... Like, I just hope that, you know, cases like last Sunday, because um, I think it, I think it'd be better for, like, both teams, um, to be honest with you, is if they, they don't play at the same time. Yes. Um, that, I, I'm not, I know the, like, the Wolfpack game was originally scheduled for Saturday, and to be honest, I have I don't know why it was changed. No, I don't um, think anyone really knows. But I think like that's part of it, right? It's like you, like I mean, even from the you know from the arrow arrows perspective, it's like I mean, you know, you know, a couple of people that went to the Wolfpack game might come out to your game. Even from the Wolfpack, it's like yeah, you know, like if you didn't have the arrows game happening at the same time, I mean, you're only a couple hundred off from a sellout, and it's like a couple hundred of those people were probably at the arrows game. Yeah. Um. Right? So it's like you could have maybe even like announced that and stuff. Two, and it's like I think like if they can like I'm not saying like combine forces or whatever. Um, necessarily if there's but like yeah but it's like it, it would be you know if you can give if you kind of give people like options to go to both like it can be beneficial to both of them because people like there would be, I think there would be people that go to both of them mm-hmm. um, you know just to hang out um, but like I think um, the key thing like for the arrows I think um, you know I mean the wolf pack have like the beer garden and stuff like that um, but the, they created like you know a super unique experience, and I think the arrows just need to, um, you know, find the thing that's going to make them a unique experience as well. Um, and then you know, you know between between the Honda stuff at, at their games, and you know, I know yeah, everyone, I know everyone belly ached about the beer, whole beer thing at the first first home game. You know, I was there, and it, it, as a fan, it kind of sucked. But you know, that's the kinks of being in your first year in a league, right? You, you got to yeah. go through those things and, and realize, Oh, okay. Maybe we will get 3000 fans that, that will show up. Yeah. So, you know, it, it will be yeah. something that they have to work on. I think too, like the worst thing that, if, I mean, from a fan's point of view, if the worst thing that's happened so far this year is that there was one game that's pulled out of beer, it's not really the end of the no. world. Um, like, you know what I mean? It's not really the end of the world. Um, and you know, yeah. So I just, yeah, like you said, uh, the the Honda thing. It's like where you can like, you know, kids are like learning how to ride dirt bikes like above the like uh, you know on that hill like on top of the stadium, um, is really cool. Uh, yeah. I, guessing that they like, I don't really know for sure, but I, like, I don't know how they would fit that into Lamport. Yeah, that um, that would be interesting. Uh, like maybe on the the outside of the stadium they have it. Maybe do some like in and out privileges or something. Yeah, you could put it on like the outside of the stadium somewhere. Or yeah. I, yeah, like um, but uh, you know, but like hopefully, like hopefully they do keep doing something like you know super unique like that because you know um, It'd be kind of cool if the, they did like a car show, like if they had some of like the the newer Honda cars that 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 showed up or newer dirt bikes that people could look at. That'd be pretty cool as well. Yeah, like kind of uh, have Honda uh, bring some more stuff in. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Like if you can do something that makes, uh, yeah, exactly. But if you can do, regardless of what that is, like if you can do anything that, I think it, like the Wolfpack, the ultimate thing that I think the Wolfpack did to create the the thing with fan experience was that they they did something that you couldn't do somewhere else in Toronto, right? Like you can't go to the Leaf game and try like nine different types of craft beers. Yeah, you can't go to like a Jays game and do that. You can't go to the TFC. You can't go. Anywhere it's like Austin Matthews isn't going to come and have a drink with you after no. the game. No, no, he will not. Like it's just, He's busy getting hair plugs. Yeah, it, it's just it's just the way that you know it's just the way that 
It is. And the Wolfpack did a great job of creating something that you can't do somewhere else in the city. Um, yeah. which is which quite frankly is no longer a rugby game. You can go see other rugby games now. Yeah. It's a different code, but you can still go see that now. Um, and I think that's what that like that is, you know what I mean? Is I think like it's also like, you know, a challenge that the arrows have been finding that unique thing is to just you know, that is a challenge that the arrows have been finding that unique thing as well, is that, you know, um like the wolf pack have been around for three years and have kind of developed their fan experience. And I just think that the the arrows have to find um, whether it's dirt bikes, the food trucks, having tacos, Jamaican patties, that's clutch. Um, those are like really good. Yeah. Um, in the in the in the beer garden too. It's like the food truck thing is awesome. Um, because I mean, like, you know, in even especially too as well compared to the wolf pack. The wolf pack just have like your standard, you know, like hot dogs and like burgers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so pack don't have any unique food options despite having that beer garden whereas you know the arrows you know you can go to an arrows game and munch on tacos and jamaican pack for 80 minutes if you want to that'd be pretty um, sweet yeah which is something again though which is something like you can't like i don't like i don't know i haven't been to a leaf game in forever because i don't have money um <laughs> but i don't i don't know like i don't know if the, you know if they have like you know tacos and i don't know like you know tacos and like you know jamaican patties and like super unique foods like that yeah um, but it's like, so that's something that I think the arrows have been doing too. That's, you know, really good to help create a unique thing. Um, the one thing though, like, uh, your question also touched on like marketing and like social media and stuff. Um, the one thing though that I do think the arrows kind of have a, in my mind, they have a big advantage on the wolf pack. Um, is that the, like the wolf pack realistically from a rugby operations point of view are based out of manchester yeah um they like you know like the like they have toronto in their name and stuff but it's like they they come over like the wolf pack players come over and they live like a road team for a month um you know like it's almost like right and then they go fly back to england and that's when everybody goes back to, like their own beds and stuff mm-hmm. um but uh so like you know i think like the wolf pack earlier in the year um, did the the big like jersey release party um, at the start of the year as most rugby teams do, and but they did that like that was held in Manchester, mm-hmm. right? And it's like it wasn't held in Toronto, and you know and like they've done like a few things like that. It's like the Wolfpack have sponsors, some sponsors that you know I can't use because they're English. Yeah, exactly. Or available over here like um even you know even the league being sponsored by betfred it's like canadians don't have access to that no it's like i don't know what this is or i don't I, like yeah. or even even just like the uh the like the jersey company like isc is like a, it's an australian company like it's something that like canadians we're not familiar with i mean x blades is pretty unfamiliar but i mean they're they're at least the league's jersey sponsor for the arrow so like we know them and you know the the fan stuff is made by Kano, which is which is if you're you know a rugby player in Canada, you know them. They're pretty pretty common. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And but even like you know like and like I don't like and that's just like that's part of it. Obviously, the Wolfpack have Toronto and uh, base sponsors too. Um, but 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 it is like that's part of it, just as like the league in general. Like I don't think it's legal for Canadians to use Betfred. I could be wrong on that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, you have that, whereas, you know, Toronto, um, the Toronto Arrows, excuse me, um, like when they unveiled their jersey, they unveiled their rosters. They did that 
um, real sports. Mm-hmm. You know, like like in Toronto, we allowed you know the local media. They have fans there. There was you know, all to come out and like open the like, there were huge launch parties held in Toronto. Um, like these guys, um, you know, the Wolf Pack always say that they practice in England um, during the winter because it's like you know it's cold outside. So the Arrows practice indoors, like here too. Um, and so it's like, and also all the players that are from here. Um, you know, there's like a bulk of the guys, like obviously we always talk about like how many Canadians are on the team, but even beyond that, there's a lot of dudes from Southern Ontario on the team. And, mm-hmm. um, and in saying that though, uh, the, like the Toronto, uh, like the Toronto arrows can take advantage of that, um, over the wolf pack. Cause it's like, you can do like, you can use say guys like, uh, Lucas rumble or Dan Moore that are, um, here all the time because they live here it's like if you wanted to do like marketing stuff throughout the winter or the off season with them you can because you have because they're here um like you know these guys like they live here they can go to schools they can go do you know help uh local like youth clubs and stuff with practice or you know some of those things that they have already been doing um but it's because like they're all they're all here um, and you can do that. Whereas, like the Wolfpack players, you know, the Toronto fans say from let's say like take this year for example, the they um, the Wolfpack lose the million pound game, then all the players go back home, right? And they don't play another home game until the end of April, yeah. first week of May. That's here's the end of April, right? So it's like Wolfpack fans go like six like six months sometimes without seeing these guys. Yeah, and it's like they play four home games in Manchester and stuff like that. Whereas it's like the arrows are here all the time. Um, it's like you know, like these guys actually, you know, like live in Toronto, um, where just where like they've grown up. They live in Toronto. They train in Toronto. Um, even like the you know like the um, and like and they've shown, I think even to that extent, it's like they've kind of shown the Wolfpack that yeah, you guys can like you can base your team out of here. Like you can train in the winter. It's not impossible. Um, and stuff like, and I think I think that's one of the things that, um, like the arrows can take advantage of, um, over the wolf pack is that the wolf pack are, like, are in Manchester a lot, especially during the off season, especially yeah. during the first half of the season, and the the arrows are here all the time. Like the arrows can be that constant presence, whereas the wolf pack can't do that. Yeah. And, Wolfpack, in theory, will never be able to do that because of the nature of the team and the, the league that they play in. Right. So um, that's something that the Wolfpack can't do that the Arrows, I think, can do. Um, so I don't know. We'll, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll see what happens, see how that plays out. But, For sure. Um, ultimately, I think uh, last Sunday, though, um, 11,000 people in the city of Toronto went to a rugby game, and I think that's pretty cool. So, I think that's pretty awesome. Whether like whether it was a league game or a union game, um, the sport is definitely growing. Um, uh, the yeah, the sport as a whole is definitely growing. Um, so uh, yeah, like it'd be great to yeah, it'd be great to see it. Hopefully, you know, we you know San Diego comes in on Sunday, and uh, you know it's the best team in the league um, right now. They're at the top of the table, mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully, you know, um, you get a massive crowd out of it. Um, I know some. Pe- I know there's some people out there that like the location of Lamport better. Um, so, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's a it's a huge crowd for them too. And cor- um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I 
does the, do the Wolfpack play also on Sunday, or do they? The Wolfpack play on Saturday. On this Saturday. Weekend. So there you go. So yes. there's no scheduling conflicts either. So that so that'll be very interesting. What now that the arrows are at Lamport, it's pretty much impossible for them to have yeah, a scheduling. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thank you. That that's and we'll. I'll be very much looking forward to seeing how the Lamport takeover from the arrows goes. Um, so we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on to the last thing we're gonna talk about quickly. Uh, some rugby Canada news. First things first. Uh, we wanted to congratulate the uh, women's rugby sevens program uh, for winning over in Japan. The they played extremely well. I, I watched the last, you know, the quarterfinals, the semis, and, and the finals, and they played very well. That's that's the team that I think that uh, they will uh, that that can really make a push and, and do really well at the end of the season, and also. You know, if they can keep this this core group of uh, ladies together for the Olympics, I mean, they can really make a push and maybe do better than bronze that they did last time. Um, but the one thing we wanted to focus on quickly was uh, there's some news that came out um, recently. Uh, it was on the 24th. Uh, the uh, Rugby Canada announces that the National Men's Performance Academy program, otherwise known as Pacific Pride, will be returning. Um, for those who aren't familiar, basically it was a program that ran through 1996 through 2005. Uh, it was a program that basically got uh, uncapped players and players that weren't quite making the national program together. And they basically played in the, uh, the BC Premier uh, League. Um, that league is a pretty strong uh, league to begin with, probably one of the strongest in Canada. Uh, a couple of graduates of the program include John Tate, who uh, represented Canada internationally for the, and also played for the Cardiff Blues and now is currently the uh, national coach for the Women's Sevens. Um, Jamie Cudmore, who is just one of the most famous rugby uh, players from Canada, um, who recently retired. Um, and also uh, Ryan Smith, who represented Canada at three World Cups. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another avenue for rugby players to kind of uh, make their way into the national program. Um, they did say that they will have a full slate of games in the premier league. Um, and then also they'll be playing some preseason games against MLR teams in order for players to showcase themselves with a view to eventually graduate players into professional leagues. So I guess they really want to push players getting into, you know, super rugby, the top pro 14 premiership pro 14 and the newly established MLR. So uh, how do you, how do you feel about this, Derek? Hey, I mean, I think I think it's great to have like you know a full tilt like junior or, you know, development program and stuff. Um, it's you, you like yeah, like you said, it's like you kind of want uh, you know if you can get guys playing more. Uh, I think the key thing for this is like the full schedule of games and stuff. Um, you know, playing with the same people. Um, I think like that's kind of what you want. Um, I like the idea of uh, you know playing uh, playing games against MLR teams. Um, I would imagine uh, dep- I don't know like I would imagine most those teams are going to be probably the Arrows and Seattle most of the time, mm-hmm. um, just due to the the ties there. Seattle for geographic purposes and uh, the Arrows because you know Canada. But uh, I think like yeah, if they can. You know, if, if teams can help showcase, if Rugby Canada can put a team together that helps showcase, you know, younger players to, uh, 
to major league rugby teams and stuff. It'll help uh, develop them as a whole. Um, it's yeah, like I, you know, it's a. I think you want guys like I mean, for the arrows too. It's like you want guys like Avery Oideman playing, you know, constantly. Um, you know, to be able to like develop their skills and stuff. And I think I just I just hope the because I know the program is like you know eight to ten months or no ten months long out of the year. And oh, I just hope like if uh, you know if guys do have those oper- if you know guys say like you know play some of those MLR teams press or whatever. I just hope that you know, the program doesn't like, you know, restrict them and like have the like, guys aren't like being avoided contract opportunities and stuff. Yeah. Uh, for MLR. Cause I still think the, you know, the best thing that MLR is doing is giving more North American players like chances to play professionally and for, you know, get a full season out of it. And uh, you know, I think the, you know, like both, especially the, the Eagles and team Canada are going to, you know, greatly, benefit from that and i think if you can you know say maybe take some of those younger players that aren't quite good enough for uh professional rugby yet um and you can centralize them and get them playing together then you know it's not a bad thing i like Um, i like the idea of that being the ages of 18 to 24 and i I like i like that rugby canada said that like the goal is for them to play professional rugby like this is what we want them to get ready for yeah, exactly. But I think, at the, but at the same time, like, I mean, if 18 to 24 and stuff, but like, you know, as long as you're not, you're not preventing guys like uh, Oideman or Cole Keith or, you know, any of the other, you know, uh, great Canadian talent that we do have that is under the age of 24, mm-hmm. uh, right? like from joining those professional ranks when you're, when they are good enough, then it's great. Um, you know, as long as they're, they're not like locked into the program yeah. or something, I think, which think they're going to be no i don't think they will either i think that it'll be pretty fluid yeah. i mean i don't think that there's any point of having oidemann or cool keith leave the yeah arrows like or, you know like, but, but the thing is like when the season ends or whatever and i mean if you know like unless keith i mean keith is probably going to go straight to the national team and stuff mm-hmm. like that but um you know like if uh like oidemann has been having a great year or whatever like if like that's a place where he can go to get some more playing time and stuff and uh, then it, like you know, if it gets guys playing more and it gets guys developing more and developing faster and stuff, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So the Arrows actually have a uh, very, very busy next week and a half. Uh, on Sunday uh, at Lamport Stadium, they, they play San Diego uh, at 2 p.m. Uh, and then on Thursday, they play the rescheduled game against the Austin Elite at York Alumni at 7 p.m. And then just for the extra little you know, bonus of fun. They then play the Sunday after uh, the Utah Warriors too. So at Lamport. So, you know, they've got a busy week ahead of them. So, you know, all that depth we've talked about will really be tested. It'll be interesting to see after, you know, who's going to be playing that Austin Elite game, but uh, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah. And then we get to see if Mike Shepard can become the first MLR player to get a team named team of the week twice in uh, one week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so uh yeah, no, it's uh should be a busy week. Um yeah, it's like they got the bye week after Utah though, so that yeah, that'll probably be, that'll be nice for them to get some rest. Yeah, I mean right now they sit uh you know, they sit four points out of a playoff spot, so uh every game for the rest of the year is massive. Yes. Uh, I wrote 
last week that the biggest game of the season, uh, that's first Seattle was the biggest game of the season. I'm probably going to write that uh, game against San Diego is the biggest game of the season. And then I'll probably continue to do that till the end. Of the season. <laughs> well, I mean, their last two games are, are Glendale and New York. So that'll be really interesting. That's the thing though. It's like, I like, I, I, I mean, to me, I like where the arrows are at. Um, they're sitting four points out. I mean, uh, of a playoff spot in the last two games are against the teams that they're directly chasing. Yeah. They can use if they can use uh, San Diego, Utah, and Austin to put themselves in a good spot um, before, like before that bye week, and then they can, you know, use that bye week to recharge, and then uh, you know, like you can, you know, they can. They're in a position right now that even though they're sitting four points, they're in sixth and still sitting four points out of a playoff spot. That uh, they're in the position to control their own destiny as long as they keep winning. That's for sure. Um, um, So it's like they're they're like you know they're far from out. Uh, they're far from out of this. They don't need, as of right now, as long as they keep winning, they don't need help from any other teams. It's not like you're, you know, it's like you're, you're not, we're not at the, I don't think Arrows fans right now, we're at the point of scoreboard watching to be like, you know, oh no, like New York's winning or something. I don't think we're quite at that point yet. Yeah. But, um, but uh, so like, yeah, like as long as, uh, obviously against San Diego, which is a great team. They're first in Major League Rugby for a reason. Um, kind of firing on all cylinders right now. Um, so I mean, if they can pick up a win against San Diego, it's like they're going to be in real good shape. Yeah. Um. So um. So yeah, it's like yeah, it's like you're four points out of a playoff spot. Which I mean, if it's only four points, that means you can technically be in a playoff spot by the next time by this time next week. So yeah, we shall we shall see. Yeah, we will. Uh, well, thank you, Derek, again. And uh, if anyone uh. Has any uh, any uh, opinions that they want to share with us? Feel free. Uh, we will be posting this again on on Reddit, and uh, we'll be having a Twitter page uh, open pretty soon for the podcast, where you can find all the links for for all the episodes. So, thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and uh, enjoy the the next few weeks of rugby because it's going to be pretty busy for Canada.